And when we talk about leadership, we, we, could, we could teach on a hundred different things, okay? But I just wanted to look at some characteristics of a great spiritual leader. And Moses was definitely that, was he not? So open with me to the book of Exodus chapter 3. And let's look at the calling of Moses here. When he's on the mountain and God speaks to him through a burning bush. And I just want to read a few verses uh, and then we'll just, as I say, fly over and pick out several other stories in the life of Moses. Chapter 3, verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So here we see the story of Moses be, uh, beginning his ministry, as, as we could call it, on the mountain. God speaking to him from the burning bush saying, you're to go set my people free. I will be with you and I'm going to reveal myself to you. Hallelujah. Moses was God's man. It's amazing when you read through the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, how many times God is speaking to Moses. I remember uh, in my younger days serving the Lord, reading through those books and just being amazed that it seemed like so many chapters just began with, and the Lord spoke to Moses. And I thought, wow. And then how God had fashioned him through the years. You know, Moses' life can really be divvied up into three portions of 40 years. There were the first 40 years that he spent in Egypt being raised in the household of Pharaoh. Because if you remember the story of his birth, uh, his mom put him in a, a, a basket of bulrushes and sent him down the river. And then he was picked up by Pharaoh's daughter of all people. And she brought him into her house to raise him in Pharaoh's house. But then she went back and got his mother to be the nursemaid for him. I mean, God has a way of working things. And then he was raised in the house of Moses, uh, house of Pharaoh rather. And then being overzealous, knowing he was a Hebrew, he saw an Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew one day. And he went up and he killed the slave master, buried him in the sand. He thought no one knew that, but someone saw him and called him out on it later, and he got really fearful that, that, his life would be, uh, that his life was precious to him and that Pharaoh would come after his life. So he ran out to the desert, to the backside of the desert, into the land of Midian, and became a rough shepherd, married a girl there, and just became a rough shepherd. And don't you imagine that Moses never thought he would get out of that? That that was just going to be the rest of his days spent as a shepherd on the backside of the desert. And, and I kind of think that during those days too, he probably lost some of that smoothness of being raised in Pharaoh's house. Maybe he lost that sophisticated edge he might have had by being raised in Pharaoh's house. And I think the Lord just said, now I've got him where I want him. And God called him from the mountain, from the burning bush in the passage that we just read, and called him to do really an impossible task. Go back down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Say what? <laughs> Just go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he says, well, who am I supposed to say sent me? 
He said, well, tell them that I am that I am has sent you. I've heard that in Hebrew that means I will be, it can be translated, I will be who I will be. When you get there, I will be everything you need. Then Moses starts all of his excuses because all of us can gin up some excuses here, right? And he says, but Lord, I can't do that. I, 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 I can't, you know I can't speak well. Don't worry, your brother's already on the way. And they walk through this excuse and response scenario until finally Moses just says, okay, I'll do it, you know. And he walks down to confront probably the greatest leader of the ancient world at that time, one of the strongest armies and nations of the ancient world at that time, and all he has in his hand is a shepherd's staff. Somebody say, wow. wow. Let's say that backwards. Wow. wow. Exodus chapter 14. And Moses said to the people, here they come out. He leads them out of bondage, leads them all the way to the Red Sea. And as they're standing at the Red Sea, Moses says to the people in verse 13, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which we, He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you'll see no more again forever. For the Egyptians will be toast. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel, go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, the chariots and the horsemen. So here we see him again in an uncomfortable leadership position. Pharaoh's army behind him. Red sea in front of him. What does he do? He cries out to the Lord, stretches out the rod, and the seas part all night long, the Bible says. The wind blows, and all night long those seas part, and they create a wall of water, and the, Egyptians, and the Israelites go through. Some have estimated as large as two to three million walk through there. Pharaoh's army follows them, and the sea walls come crashing down and completely destroy and drown the Egyptians. Someone said, some scholars have said, well, the, the Red Sea was only about ankle deep during that time, so it wouldn't have been a tremendous miracle. And one man responded and said, no, that's a greater miracle. Because if ankle deep water can drown all of the armies of Pharaoh, then that was a greater miracle. But in these instances, we see Moses as a great leader. He's a reluctant leader. I think it was Aristotle who said the greatest, what you want first in a leader is somebody who doesn't want to be the leader. It's called a reluctant leader. And sometimes God calls reluctant leaders. Calls someone up who really is like, I don't think I can do this. And they have the humility to lead. And the humility to say, God, if you don't show up and help me, I can't do this. I think what's Dangerous sometimes is someone who says, yeah, I got this covered. I can do it all. God wants a humble leader. He wants a person who's totally dependent on him. That's who Moses was. Leadership is interesting. 
I'll give you a few definitions of leadership here. Oswald Sanders said leadership is influence. It's the ability of one person to influence another. Robert Clinton said the central task of leadership is influencing God's people toward God's purposes. And then the definition I like the best is from Henry Blackaby who wrote Experiencing God, that famous study you know, that came out in the 90s. He said, he said spiritual leadership is moving people onto God's agenda. Moving people onto God's agenda. And you may be sitting here today thinking, well, I'm not a leader, Brother Hans, but I'm going to challenge you on that. I think all of us need to grow in our leadership. Because, number one, you have to lead yourself. Whatever you're doing in life requires leadership. Number two, maybe you're a mom or you're a dad. You need to lead your families better. We all need that, right? Or maybe you have a, a, a job where you're working under an employer and you need to be a better leader for them. Or maybe you are the employer. Or maybe you have a position in the church or you're volunteering in the church or in some community organization. You can, we can always grow in our leadership. And so I think we'll look at Moses' life and see some areas where we can grow in. Moving people onto God's agenda is what a spiritual leader does. Isn't that what a mom or dad is trying to do? Move their kids onto God's agenda for their lives. If you're married, you want to move your marriage relationship onto God's agenda for your life and for your marriage. If you're a business owner, you want to move your business onto God's agenda, really. We've made too much of a separation between the world and the church, and we haven't integrated those two things enough. And, you know, if you're leading a business, let it be God's business. Let it be God's work. Move it onto God's agenda. That's what great leaders in the Bible do. Think of Josiah. King Josiah, who in the midst of a totally backslidden and depraved Israel, discovers the law of God in the temple, reads it, and leads one of the greatest reforms in the history of Israel. He allows God to set the agenda. Think of Hezekiah, who removes the pagan idols from the land, and is a man of prayer, and leads in an incredible way by moving people onto God's agenda. Great leaders discover what God wants, and then works to bring people onto God's agenda. There are some precursors here about Moses' life. The Bible says he was humble. He was the meekest man on earth. That doesn't mean people could run over him. It just means he knew who was in charge above him. You know, the New Testament Greek word for humility means being under. And I think a true definition of being humble is understanding that you're under the authority of God or someone else. He was also incredibly obedient, as we saw in that passage in Exodus chapter 3 or Exodus chapter 14. He did what God told him to do. He was obedient. Doesn't mean he didn't question it. Doesn't mean he didn't wrestle with trying to figure out how he's going to do it, like we all will, but he ultimately obeyed what God asked him to do, and for that he's a great leader. But I'm going to give you three characteristics of Moses' life that are great characteristics of all spiritual leaders. And they're very simple and maybe haven't thought about these before, but first of all, great spiritual leaders are teachable. Great spiritual leaders are teachable. I'm going to say this, great leaders are teachable. If you know it all, we can't help you anymore. You might as well go on to McDonald's and go home. 
If you know it all, I can't help you. But if you are teachable, then God can use you, God can show you, God can grow you. In Exodus chapter 18, something happens. He brings the children of Israel out of the wilderness, it brings them out of Egypt rather, into the wilderness. And instead of going directly to the promised land, God leads them into the heart of the desert. Because God wants them to go learn His laws and learn how to worship Him and establish a new society based on God's leadership. It's going to be a theocratic nation. And so He leads them into the heart of the desert and He goes back to Midian where He was living as a shepherd. And there He encounters his, uh, visits His father-in-law, uh, Jethro, and Jethro sees how hard Moses is working. That Moses is, is judging cases for and deciding people's issues. And so people are coming to him all day long, and it's wearing Moses out. And Jethro comes up to him, and he says, you're not doing well here. You're not doing good. But what you should do is you should delegate the things you're doing and set up captains over thousands, over hundreds, and over tens. And divvy up the work and you handle the big cases. And you know what Moses said? Father-in-law, I love you, but you don't know what you're talking about. I'm the man and I've got it all together and I understand everything. No, Moses didn't say that. Moses said, yes, sir, I will try that and we'll see what happens. He sets up captains of thousands and captains of hundreds and captains of tens and God sets up this society in a way that they can all share the responsibility and Moses can live to be an old man so he doesn't wear himself out. Amen. That's a man who is teachable. If you're going to be a great spiritual leader, you have to be teachable. And to be teachable, you need to deal with the pride issue. Because pride keeps you or can keep you from learning. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 26, Do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than him. If you're, if you're proud, you can't learn anything because you've already figured it all out. Leaders are lifelong learners. They don't just go and get a certificate and think, I'm done learning. No, leaders learn over the long haul, Warren Bennis said, it's the capacity to develop and improve their skills that distinguishes leaders from followers. Gail Sheely says, if we don't change, we don't grow. If we don't grow, we are not really living. Because growth demands a temporary surrender of security. It, 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 it may mean a giving up of familiar but limiting patterns. Safe but unrewarding work. Values no longer believed in. Relationships that have lost their meaning. As Dostoevsky put it, taking a new step, uttering a new word is what people fear most. The real, the real fear should be the opposite, of course. You really should fear being stagnant. You really should fear never growing in your life. You really should fear going to the grave and not doing all that God's placed in your heart to do or getting to the capacity that He has for you. Is anybody in this church this morning? You should be changing. The church should be changing. We, we, don't, we hold on to doctrine and we hold on to our strong beliefs, but we shift and we change and we grow and we innovate. Why? Because that's what God does. He does. He moves us along on His agenda to grow and grow and grow and grow. Can somebody shout amen? amen. John Wesley said something one time that is scary for me. 
but I, I, he was one of the greatest leaders in Christian history, in my opinion. He said, once in every seven years, I burn all my sermons. For it is a shame if I cannot write better sermons now than I did seven years ago. That's a leader who knows he's growing. He knows he's growing. He knows he's getting better. He knows he's learning more. Great spiritual leaders are teachable. Second thing I see in Moses' life is he's a prayer warrior. He is a praying man. And great spiritual leaders pray. Great spiritual leaders know how to pray. First, they pray to hear God's voice. God, tell me what to do. I need your direction. And then secondly, they pray for others. This is what Moses' life was filled with, having encounters with the Lord. God, show me what you want me to do. Speak to me. And then secondly, interceding for the people who he is leading who sometimes were absolutely obstinate absolutely rebellious, even at one point he's praying for them after he learns they will never enter into the promised land. And he still leads them and still intercedes for them. That, that blows me away. Because most of us I would, would probably be like, they're not going in, Lord? Okay, well, I'm leaving then. And just walk. But he didn't do that. He prayed for God's direction, and he prayed for them. Listen to this. Seven crucial moments at which Moses prayed at the Red Sea, as we read in Exodus chapter 14. When Israel had no water in Exodus chapter 17. When Israel worshipped the golden calf in Exodus 32, he intercedes for them. After the golden calf incident, when God told him, I'll raise up a nation through you, in Exodus 33, he prays. When the people complained... In Numbers 11, he prayed. When Aaron and Miriam, his brother and sister, challenged his authority, he prayed. When Israel rebelled against God's plan and said, we can't take the promised land, even though God said we could, Numbers 14, he prayed. He went to God in prayer at the crucial moments of his life. He went to get God's agenda and he went to pray for others. You know, Jesus shows us how to pray as well, doesn't He? Luke chapter 6 said it came to pass in those days as Jesus went out into the mountain to pray, He continued all night in prayer to God, and when it was day, He called His disciples to Himself. I think it's interesting. Jesus was the Son of God. He knew the thoughts and, heart, and hearts of men when they would come to Him. But even Jesus spent all night in prayer before He chose His disciples. If Jesus spent all night in prayer to choose His disciples, how much more should you and I pray about God's direction in our lives and major decisions that we're making? Jesus said in John 5, He said, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son does also. Jesus realized, I'm doing nothing unless I see the Father doing it. I'm waiting on His lead. And He was the Son of God. Nonetheless, he prayed and sought God's voice. Great leaders pray for others. Jesus goes into the garden in John chapter 17. And there he prays for his disciples. And there he prays for you and I. All who would follow him in the future. And he prays for unity. And he prays for us in the garden. Interceding for God's, for God's people 
and praying to hear God's voice. Exodus chapter 32, listen to this. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen the people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone. Let my wrath burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I'll make you a great nation. After they had sinned, worshiping a golden calf that they had created because Moses was gone away for too long, the people started worshiping a golden calf, and God says, back out of the way, Moses. I'm going to destroy them all, and I'll raise up a nation out of you. What does Moses do? He pleads with the Lord. And he said, Lord, who do, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them and to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I've spoken, I will give to your descendants. He's pleading, God, don't destroy them, but... Fulfill the word that you gave to us, that you'd raise us all up as a great people. Wow. He is praying for people who are in sin, rebelling against God. Andrew Murray said, the attempt to pray constantly for ourselves must be a failure. It is an intercession for others that our faith and love and perseverance will be aroused. He said, unless we are willing to pay the price to sacrifice time and attention and seemingly legitimate or necessary tasks for the sake of the spiritual gifts, we need not look for much power from above in our work. In other words, we got to pray for others and we got to take the time to do it. Can somebody shout amen? amen? Great spiritual leaders, pray. You want a great family? Pray for them. You want a great workplace? Pray. You think this, the, the environment is bad? Start praying for the environment to change. You don't have any open doors? Pray that God opens doors. Amen? You don't like the way I'm preaching? Pray for me. <laughs> Hallelujah. Go, pray. Come on, say it with me. Pray first. Pray first. Often we complain first. We need to pray first. Or often we Facebook first. Pray first. Come on, shout it out. Pray first. Often we get on the phone first. Pray first. Pray first. Several years ago, uh, Emmanuel College, it's a school associated with the Pentecostal Holiness Church in Georgia. I've spoken there many times. A wonderful college. They got into a real uh, dire situation financially several years ago. And there was a man there who had worked as a professor and worked as, a, as the leader of the, the group that does traveling and singing called the Emanuel Singers. Ron White is his name. He's a wonderful man. He's been here. Ron White became president, and he became president under these circumstances. Are they going to have to close the school down? What's going to happen? And he started this campaign called Pray First. And I would see him online promoting that because he, he realized when he came to the position of president, he didn't know how they were going to get out of this. He didn't know how this situation was going to, going to resolve. But he said, I know one thing, we're going to pray. 
And you know what? They're still standing and they're still doing well. And God, God works some incredible angles for them to be able to deal with this burden that's on them. I've been and preached for them several times since then. And he's still there. And they're still praying. Come on, say it with me. Pray first. When you receive a bad doctor's report, pray first. I'm telling you, I love the medical professionals and a lot of them are in my family, but pray first before you agree to procedures and surgeries. So just pray first. Pray first. Can, come on, somebody. Come on, can you shout hallelujah? When you receive a bad financial report, pray first. Because if you commit it to God first in prayer, God can do some stuff and start working some stuff for you. We say, well, God's doing that anyhow. Well, I don't know. I think God wants to see faith arise in our hearts and wants us to call on His name and when we do, he says, there we go. Now that's what I want. And he gets in motion doing what he maybe would not do without us praying first. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah. Punch your neighbor and say, pray first. Punch him again and say, stop complaining to me and pray first. This is good stuff. Third thing I see here in Moses' life is that great spiritual leaders have a passion for the presence of God. Great spiritual You can be a great leader and have no passion for God. But if you want to be a spiritual leader, you've got to have a passion for His presence. And I think as mothers, as great Christian employees, Christian employers, we all need to be great spiritual leaders. Can somebody say amen? We need a passion for His presence. There's nothing that replaces that. Several years ago, I'm talking, let's talk 25 years ago, I went to a seminar done by some Baptist church, church growth guys. It was great. And they introduced a leader named Glenn Wagner. He was pastoring a mega church in Charlotte. Glenn Wagner had been a big speaker with the Promise Keepers movement. And they introduced him like this. Glenn Wagner is a change agent. He's never pastored a church under 100 years old, and he's turned every one of them around. He's a leader across the nation. And he gets up, and the first thing he says is, he says, well, I'm introduced as a change agent a lot. And he said, so I went and looked up, what is a change agent? And what are the characteristics of a great leader who changes the environment? And he said, I realized when I saw those characteristics, I didn't have any of them. He said, but I do have one thing that overrides all of those characteristics. I have passion. I have passion. I have passion to do what I have in my heart to do. There's nothing like having passion and having a passion for His presence. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 33, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp. See, Israel would always pitched their camp, and this is a massive camp with possibly millions of people, and it, they was structured in a certain way according to tribes, and then they had the tabernacle that God instructed Moses to construct situated in a certain place. So the Bible says in verse 7 of Exodus 33, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. 
And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, listen, all the people rose and each man stood at his tent door as Moses passed by. That was out of reverence for Moses in the presence of God. They all would stand at their tent door as Moses would pass by until he had gone into the tabernacle. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. This is one of my favorite passages. What's happening is, is everyone knew when Moses walked out of the camp what he was going to do. He was going to go meet with God. And they had such reverence for that, they all stood at attention at their tent door and watched the man of God go out to hear from God. And then Moses would go in and he had such a relationship with God it was as if he was talking to another human being. I don't know about you, but sometimes I pray like a real Pentecostal. I scream and yell. Other times I talk to the Father like He's my best friend. And I think both are just great. Sometimes I'm riding down the road in my car and I just talk to Him like He's sitting in the passenger seat with me. Like a man would talk to his friend face to face. That's how Moses got where Moses got to. It's how he led like he led. It's how God blessed him like he was blessed. He was a man who had a passion for the presence of God. Amen. And isn't it interesting that the man who gets the leadership mantle after Moses was the young servant named Joshua who also had a passion for his presence. Because did you notice that last verse? Joshua would go out and walk with him just to be near him, kind of as his armor bearer. And when Moses would go into the tabernacle, he would come back out and leave, but Joshua wouldn't. <laughs> Even though maybe he didn't have on him at that time what Moses had on his life, he loved it and he wanted it. And he wanted to be close to the glory. He wanted to be close to that pillar of fire. and He wanted to be close to the presence. He wanted to be close to the tabernacle. And lo and behold, that's the man whom God calls to have the mantle after Moses departs here. Come on, how many have a passion for his presence? I love. There's nothing I love greater than the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Then in Exodus chapter 33, verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. And you've said, I know you by name and have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray, if I found grace in your sight, show me your way, Lord that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And God says to him, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. God, if you're not going to go with us, I don't want to go. 
If your glory and your presence does not come, I want no part of it. I'll just stay right here. That's the heart's cry of a true spiritual leader. God, we're seeking your presence. We constantly want to be where you are. And then he asks this audacious ask. He says, Lord, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God says, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. And I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man can see my face and live. The Lord said, but there's a place by me. And you stand on the rock. And so it shall be when my glory passes by that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And will cover you with my hand. And while I pass by, there I'll take away my hand and you'll see my back, but my face shall not be seen. No human being can see God in all of His glory and live. Moses was one in Scripture who got to see some of it. And God had to hide him and he walked by and he got to see His glory. I think it's interesting that when Elijah is running from Jezebel, He goes back to the same place where Moses saw the glory of God. I think Elijah knew if I can just get back to the original place where the man of God who led us out saw his presence, maybe I'll be all right if I just get back there. It's another sermon for later, Hans. Thank you very much. I want to be in his glory, I want to live in his glory. I want to finish my days in His glory. I want to have the testimony that Hans lived in the glory of God. That Hans was a man of God's presence. That he wanted God's presence. If nothing else, notice this. I love this passage so much in 2 Peter. This is the end of Peter's life probably. It's the last book Peter will write. Peter was, of course, the disciple who was, who was arguably closest to Jesus. And he writes 2 Peter as, this is, let's just say it's his epitaph. It's what he wants on his tombstone. And here's what he says in chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He said, this is what I want you guys to realize. We're not dreaming all this up. This wasn't a fable. It wasn't a fairy tale. But I saw His glory. He could have said, guys, I'm Peter. I'm the one Jesus looked at and says, upon this rock I'll build my church. Or he could have said, guys, I'm Peter. I'm the one that walked on water. Or guys, I'm Peter. I'm the one who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were saved. Or I'm Peter. I'm the one that so many sick folk came out when I came to town that we had to line them up on the streets and my shadow just passed by and healed every one of them. I'm that man. I'm the first guy ever to preach to the Gentiles. I went to Cornelius' house and the Holy Ghost came and baptized every one of them there. I'm that guy. He didn't say any of that. He didn't say any of that. This is his last work. He says, guys, here's what I want you to know. We aren't following a fable or a fairy tale, but I saw him in his glory. 
And when, when did he see him in his glory? Verse 17, For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. What's he talking about? He's talking about when Jesus took Peter, James, and John to the Mount of Transfiguration. And there they saw him change from a normal human being to pure glory. His garments became white. And then he saw by, they saw by him Moses and Elijah from the Old Testament. It was like, oh my gosh. And they turned around and it was only Jesus standing there. And Peter says, Lord, can we build tabernacle? Can we set our tents up here? Can we just never go back and just stay here? So at the end of his life, it wasn't about everything that he had done and everything he had accomplished. It wasn't about all of his reputation and his bank account and his 401k. It was about, I want to be known as one. I was just one in the number who saw him in his full glory and presence on the holy mountain. Nothing else matters. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, let Fountain of Life be a church of His glory. Let us be a people of His glory. Let us live out our days as people who experience His glory, Lord. This is what great spiritual leadership is about. We pursue His presence. Pursue His glory. Come on, come on. Can somebody shout hallelujah? I have a friend who's worked on staff at numerous mega churches in America. And he's a wonderful brother, one of my dearest friends. And he called me one day years ago. And he said, Hans, I've learned one thing about ministry. We can grow a church without Jesus. We can just have programs and outreaches and do the services. And we can, people will be attracted and we can grow a church without Jesus. But he said, that's not the church I want. <laughs> and I want to echo that this morning. I don't want, if you're not here, Lord, I don't want to be here. If your glory doesn't lead us, I don't want to go, God. I just want to be where your glory is. Hallelujah. And believe me, his glory is tabernacled now in us and among us as people. He said, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. Hallelujah. I want to be in his glory. Come on, can you lift your hands? Don't you want that to be your testimony? I saw him in my days. I experienced him in his fullness of power in my time. Come on, everybody stand with me this morning. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast. And I hope these sermons have been a great blessing and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, He is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin, and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracles, signs, and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us.